All right, so John chapter 13. We're going old school John Corson style. All right, so whether you're a Star Wars fan or not, we all, everyone has to agree that Star Wars number three is probably one of the saddest movies you've ever seen. I mean, it is for me. I mean, everyone knows Star Wars 3, right? I ho hopefully you do. If you're not familiar with the Star Wars saga, I'll, I'll go ahead and fill you in on it. Star Wars 3 talks about Anakin's turn to the dark side. And, you know, and it, it's, it's just a, a sad, sad movie. And the part that always gets me at the end there is when Obi-Wan has to hack up Anakin, you know, at the end. You know, and then there's that exchange of words, you know, right, as, as Anakin's laying there. And, you know, the last line he says is, you are my brother, Anakin, and I loved you. You know, that, you know, that always gets me every time. And that got me thinking about this passage. Because this passage that we're going to look at tonight in verse 18 through 35 talks about Judas's betrayal of Jesus. And Jesus loved Judas. And we're going to see here that Jesus even quotes a, a scripture from Psalm 41, verse 9, talking about how Ahithophel betrayed David, his, his own dear friend. And so the, back, the backdrop of, of this passage is darkness. And we see that here uh, spoken of in verse 30. Look at verse 30. It says, having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. And so, yeah, Anakin's turn to the dark side was sad, but it's nothing compared to this passage. Judas's turn into darkness. And as he left that upper room that night, he left the light, who's Jesus, you know, the light of, of God's word and the, you know, and the light of God, and he went out in, into darkness. But even though Judas went out into darkness, and darkness is his backdrop, Yet you and I, as we stick close to Christ, we're going to learn some amazing truths about how you and I can be lights as we walk with the Lord. And the Lord is going to give us three specific lights that we can draw near to him and learn and then represent this to our dark world around us. Because we all agree our world is dark and our world is dying. And, um, and it's really the backdrop of everything that, that we do as Christians. But the darkness of our world only gives you and I an opportunity to bear forth light, you know, be, before this evil and dark world. And so we look at our first light that we have to represent. It's given to us in uh, verses 18 through 30. We see that as we walk in God's word, we represent the light. Beginning in verse 18, it's, Jesus says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. And so just to kind of keep this narrative in context, you know, sometimes you can miss the flow of, of this passage as you read through it. And it's really a beautiful passage. And, you know, it was all given in one night. But, you know, the, the, the context of the passage is Jesus began with this meal that he spent with his disciples there as he was eating with them. And after the meal, he noticed that their feet weren't washed. And so he takes this opportunity to represent himself as the lowest servant, as we learned on Sunday. He, took the, he, he chose the last things. And there he stood up, grabbed the towel and the basin, and walked around and began washing the disciples' feet. Well, as he got to Peter, Peter said, no, Lord, you're not going to wash my feet. And so Jesus, as a master teacher, takes the opportunity to teach Peter and declare to him some truths about holiness and sanctification. He says, Peter, you know, he who is bathed, 
you know, only needs to wash your feet. And Peter said, okay, well, then give, you know, give me a bath again. And Jesus says, no, Peter, you're not understanding what I'm, ta- I'm saying to you right now. You are bathed, you're clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So you only need to wash your feet. In other words, as you walk with me and you pick up dirt in this world, I need to wash you and cleanse you. But then he goes on and says, but one of you is not clean. And guess who that was? That was Judas. And then he goes on there and, and gets back to his main point, which is talking about being a servant. And then there in verse 17, he says, but blessed are you who do these things. Blessed are you that, who do these things. And this brings us to verse 18 because he says, but I don't speak concerning all of you, for I know whom I, I have chosen. And he says, yeah, blessed are you who do these things, but by the way, but not, not all of you. Not all of you because Judas as he said, was unclean. He was not a believer. And so regardless of all the good works that a person can do, even a good work of being a lowly servant, if you're not clean, if you haven't been washed by Jesus and redeemed by him, well, then all your works are as filthy rags in the eyes of the Lord. I mean, think about Judas. I mean, he was, I mean, he was probably baptized as, as all the other disciples were. I mean, he spent time with Jesus. I mean, in amazing church services. He heard the word, but yet he continually chose to turn his heart away from the Lord. And, you know, and as a result, he was, he was not saved. And so Judas here, and Jesus says, yeah, this doesn't apply to you. And then he goes on here to teach his disciples that it wasn't by accident that Judas betrayed Jesus, but it was actually spoken of in scripture. The Lord says, I know whom I've chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. So as I said, this is actually a quote from Psalm 41, verse 9. And David wrote that passage originally, speaking of Ahithophel, his, his, his near friend. And when his son Absalom rebelled against him, Ahithophel chose to follow David, or excuse me, follow Absalom and turn his back on David. And David wrote that. But Jesus here talking to his disciples says, hey guys, there's a greater fulfillment in that. One of you, that one who I know about, he's the one who is going to betray me. Now, God predicted this in the scriptures. In other words, God foreknew that Judas would one day betray Jesus. But that doesn't mean that God is the author of evil or that God made Judas betray Jesus. Judas had his own opportunity to accept the Lord. God, by his grace, gave Judas an offer of salvation. He, by his grace, enabled him to be able to, to use his will to believe in Jesus. But yet, because Judas chose to reject Jesus, he then became the fulfillment uh, of this passage. And so this is one of those passages where you have God's sovereignty in his foreknowledge and the fact that he knows all things and man's responsibility. And so and so, you know, God, who's outside of time and space, saw this, and Judas, because he chose, actually became that one that God foresaw and predicted uh, would, would betray Jesus. Now, Jesus here gives this passage in order to teach his disciples something about the scriptures and the power of, of the scriptures. And he teaches them this here in order to encourage them. You know, as we're going to see, he does it here to declare who he is, in verse 19, but first he does it in order to encourage them because he knows that Judas is going to betray him. And when he does, you know, when the Lord is betrayed, he wants the disciples to know that it wasn't by accident. 
And so God, through his word, gives us light. He gives us prophecy. And the purpose of that is to comfort us, to exhort us, and to encourage us. And that's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. He says, hey, it's great to speak in tongues in church. He said, you know, that's great. He said, but I would rather speak five words in a known tongue that I may prophesy than a thousand words, you know, in an unknown tongue. Why? Because prophecy speaks encouragement, edification, and comfort. And that's what the Lord was doing here with his word. He was speaking exhortation and comfort. Also, it was given a light to Judas. I mean, think about, what do you think Judas was thinking about when the Lord was teaching, talking about this right now? We know that it was already in Judas's heart to betray Jesus. We learned that in verse two of this chapter, chapter 13. It says there that when the devil had already put it in Judas's heart to betray Jesus. And so he, the enemy hit Judas with that fiery dart to betray him, and he was already thinking about it. And the Lord then begins with this prophetic scripture to, to point these things out. I mean, you can just imagine, you know, Judas is probably sitting there thinking like, whoa. I mean, this is a sad thing, but people do it every Sunday at church. Unbelievers come as the prophetic scriptures are read and as the light of God's word shines on their heart, but yet they don't turn to the Lord. They, they choose to reject the Lord. And so if we're gonna walk in the light in the backdrop of this dark world, well, then we need to be people of the word and declare the word prophetically in the sense of foretelling it from the scriptures, preaching the gospel, declaring the word. Verse 19, now I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. And so the other reason why the Lord here points out this prophecy is so they can know who he is. Now notice the word he here is in italics. That means that it was added by the translators. It wasn't in the original Greek. It was added by the translators in order to clarify what was in the Greek text. And so if you delete that he there, the Lord says, I tell you these things before I come to pass that you may believe that I am. Oh, now we, now we know what the Lord's saying. Throughout the Gospel of John, we see continually that the Lord uses this phrase, I am, even in John 8, 58, when he says, before Abraham was, I am. And the Pharisees said, oh, wait a second, we know what you're saying. You're declaring to be God. And they picked up stone and they were gonna try to kill him. And so here, Jesus is using this prophetic scripture in order to declare who he is. And this is really the theme of the Bible. Read the prophet Isaiah in chapter 45 in talking about Cyrus. God says, hey, you wanna know who I am? He says, I'm gonna declare this guy Cyrus 150 years before he's even born. And I'm gonna declare it that you may know that I am the Lord. I am the Lord, that I am the Lord. And so in a situation which looked dark, in which the, like the Lord is being defeated, God here is speaking forth and saying, hey, I got this all under control. And Jesus says, I'm gonna tell you exactly what's gonna happen, that in the end, when I am betrayed, you can know that I'm God and that I have all these things under control. Prophecy is one of the greatest apologetics to declare who Jesus is and the fact that the Bible is the inspired word of God. I mean, you can go off on each one, but if you just take them together and just the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled alone is one of the greatest evidences. Jesus fulfilled some 300 prophecies at his first coming. I mean, and these weren't just general prophecies, you know, like these guys like Nostradamus and these guys, they make general, they make general prophecies like one day someone's gonna find a dollar bill on the road and pick it up. It's like, wow, that's amazing. I can't believe that. How did he know that? You know, it's gonna have a person on it as well. Oh, it's, it's George Washington. 
you know, he knew, you know, kind of things. No, Jesus, the prophecies that Jesus predicted were specific. The ones he fulfilled were specific, like things like the bloodline that he'd be born from. The fact that he'd be born of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and through David, but not just through David, but not through Jeconiah, who was cursed in the, in the prophet Jeremiah, but he was going to be born through David's son, Nathan. And Mary was from that bloodline of Nathan, not through Jeconiah, who was cursed. And so, I mean, it gets very, very narrow. Prophesies where he'd be born, and, you know, and, and, and how he'd be born of a virgin, and where he would go as a child, he would go to Egypt, and then he would come back to Nazareth because, you know, he was looked down upon him being Nazarene. And then, I mean, it goes on and on and on, and talked about how he died and how he would rise again, and all these things, 300 prophecies. It's impossible for any person to fulfill just eight of those. As Peter, Peter Stoner wrote about this in, in his book called Science Speaks, he says if a person was just to fulfill eight of these different prophecies, it'd be one in 10 to the 17th power. And it'd be the same as you taking silver dollars, lining the whole state of Texas three feet deep, marking one, shaking them up, and then blindfolding the person and having them go on to find that one coin on the first try. And that's the same probability of one person just fulfilling just eight of Jesus' prophecies. And so the Lord says, you want to be a light to the world in this backdrop of darkness? Well, then you need to speak forth the prophetic word and, um, you know, and declare who I am. Verse 20, most assured I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And when Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assured I say to you, one of you will betray me. And so Jesus here wanted to make it very clear. And I believe that this verse 20 here was spoken specifically with Judas in mind as well. Judas was one of those guys that the Lord sent out two by two, and he understood that when he went into those places, those who received him received the Lord, right? As he represented Jesus as one of those two that were sent out. Now Jesus wanted to make it very clear that, hey, if you reject me, you're rejecting God who sent me. There's no going back here. You can't go and betray me and then think, okay, well, I'm going to serve God with the Jews in the temple tomorrow. And, you know, Jesus wasn't the Messiah that I, I really thought he was. No, Jesus said, if you betray me, well, then you're betraying God who sent me. You're betraying Yahweh. And this troubled Jesus. He didn't speak this as a smug scholar, you know, from a classroom. But he spoke this as a loving friend who was tore up in the fact that Judas, um, you know, betrayed him. And this word actually troubled is actually used in John um, chapter um, 12 there with, Ju uh, with Lazarus. And we're told there when Jesus came to Lazarus's tomb and he saw all the people weeping and crying, it says there that Jesus was troubled. And it's the same word. It means to be agitated. It means to be stirred. And so, you know, Jesus' heart was torn over this. It wasn't something mechanical where he's like, hey guys, by the way, I'm gonna, I chose this and I'm making it happen. No, he was... He was tore up because, you know, the Lord was fulfilling scripture and, um, and Judas was, um, by his free will, um, ch you know, chose to be in that situation. And so, um, so Jesus declared this. Now, verse um, 22, then the disciples looked at one another perplexed about whom he spoke. And now there was one leaning on Jesus' bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask him who it was of whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breath, he said to him, Lord, 
who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And so as we talk about the prophetic word, as we talk about being in the word, we're given a sweet little devotional thought on how the Lord gives us insight from the word. You see, Jesus is talking about these truths and Peter's kind of away from the Lord. You know, it's nothing spiritual or anything about why he's distant and John's closer, but it just so happens that's where he found himself at the table. But Jesus is talking about these things and the disciple whom Jesus loved, who's the author of this epistle, John, he says, by the way, I'm that guy. Um, you know, he's next to Jesus. And so as Jesus is talking about these things, Peter motions over to John, hey, kind of thing. And nobody else sees him. And so John gets closer to Jesus and says, hey, Lord, who are you talking about? And the Lord says, the one who I give the piece of bread. And so he, he dipped a piece of bread and, and gave it to him. Now, two things. Number one, I don't believe John's boasting here and bragging about being closer to Jesus. But as John said, he said in chapter 21, he said, I have written these things to you that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that believing you may have life in his name. And he said, and he who writes this thing testifies that his testimony is true. So John's writing this thing as an eyewitness here. He says, hey, by the way, Jesus predicted these things before they happened. And I was the one who asked him and he told me. So I'm writing to you history right now. And, and so John is, is writing prophetic history. And so any, any person who says, well, I just can't believe prophecy, he said, well, well, you have to read this history book here because there's an eyewitness who wrote about it and he was there. But second, we have a neat devotional thought in that because John was close to Jesus, the Lord was able to reveal to him his heart concerning what he was talking about. And that's what the Lord wants for you and I, right, as his disciples. I mean, we can study and study and it's good, but ultimately in the end, the Lord wants us to be close to him. And if we're to grow in the Lord, if we're to grow in his word and his grace, well, then we need to make sure that we're close to the Lord. And as we're close to the Lord, he'll, and ask him, he'll reveal to us. And that's really the purpose of parables. One of the purpose of parables was to obscure the truth from the multitudes, but then to reveal the truth to his disciples. He would obscure it as they would know that judgment was coming, but then to his disciples, as they would get alone later on, they would say, hey, Lord, so what did you mean by this parable of the sower or the parable of the wheat and the tares? And the Lord would reveal it to him. And so if we're to draw near to the Lord, if we're to learn his word, then he wants us to be close to him. And that would mean confess our sin and, and, and deal with anything that would put a distance between you and the Lord. And so we see here that the Lord reveals this to, um, to John, and then he dips this piece of bread and gives it to Judas, and Judas accepts this. Now, some actually believe that this was actually a token here of actually the Lord giving Judas a toast, like to the honorable guest. And they say this was actually one of his final offers of, of grace and mercy to Judas. Judas did accept this bread, but he didn't accept it as grace. He accepted it and ran away. We see that in verse 27. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him, and Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he had said this to him, for some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus said to him, buy those things we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor, Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. And so as soon as Judas received this bread, we're told that Satan entered him. It's a pretty bad situation there, right? 
First, he was thinking about betraying the Lord as Satan was tempting him. And finally, in the end, he made his decision. He chose to reject the Lord and Satan actually entered him, which shows us that he wasn't a true believer. Now, the other disciples, they didn't really know what was going on because the Lord said, what you do, do quickly. In other words, hey, if you're gonna betray me, then go. Let's, let's do this thing, get it done, kind of thing. They thought, well, maybe he's going out to buy some bread because Judas did have the money box. He was the treasurer on the board. Pretty sad situation, right? Here's Jesus, his own board member, stealing money from him, kind of thing. I mean, he had a, he had a tough ministry. I mean, you know, so he said, you know, so everybody thought, well, Judas is taking the money, which he used to steal, and then go and buy some bread. Or maybe they thought, well, maybe he's going out to feed the poor. But Jesus knew exactly what was going on. He was going out in darkness because he was in the darkness. And because his deeds were evil, he was going out to sell Jesus out. And so the first example in this backdrop of darkness is the, the, light, of the, the light of God's word. And secondly, in uh, verses um, 31 through uh, 32, we see that we represent the light of the Lord as we walk in a sacrificial way, as we walk with the Lord in a, in a sacrificial way. And so when he had gone out, Jesus said to them, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. And so there was many ways that Jesus glorified the Father. I mean, he was God's glory incarnate. John 1.14, right? Jesus was... The, the tabernacle of God and God's glory dwelt in him. But there would be a specific way in which Jesus would glorify God. And that specific way would be through the cross. That would be God's greatest glorification would be through the cross. Through the cross, Jesus would re, you know, receive the, the crown of resurrection, ascension to the right hand of God. And so he said here, hey, it's, it's set. Judas is going out. They're going to come. I'm going to be betrayed in just a couple hours. I'm going to be, you know, falsely accused. I'm going to go to the cross. But then God is going to glorify me immediately. He's going to glorify me, but he's going to glorify me also immediately. In other words, I'm going to die and glorify God. His grace and mercy is going to be poured out to all the world through the cross. And then I'm going to be resurrected from the dead. And here the Lord shows us, hey, listen, if you're going to glorify the Lord, if you're going to represent the Lord, well, then it takes sacrifice. It takes a sacrificial life. And Jesus said, he who desires to come after me must lay down his life and follow me, take up his cross and follow me. For he who seeks to save his life will lose it. Right? But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. And so through the cross, God demonstrated his love um, to the world. Jesus didn't bypass the cross to get the crown, but it was through the cross that he would ascend to heaven and sit at the right hand of God. In the same, in the same way for you and I. You know, in, in, in order to um, represent the Lord, sometimes we have to lay down our life and live sacrificially. You know, we have to choose to be like Jesus and not like the world. And then finally, we, we read here, if we're to represent the Lord as his lights, well, then we need to walk in love. Verse 33, little children, I say... A little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me. And as, I say, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And so Jesus here talking about them as his little children. So once again, this is a tender term. 
You know, he's talking to his disciples. And he says, hey guys, I'm gonna be with you just a little bit longer. And where I'm, where I'm going, you can't come. But as we'll learn about next week, Jesus says why, why we can't come to him right now, he's coming back for us. You know, he's come back for us in the rapture. Jesus was going away. The kingdom would be postponed, but the Lord would establish his church on the day of Pentecost. And these men right here, which we're learning from Jesus, would be the pillars of that. They would lay the foundation of the church. And the Lord here gives them the truth that they were to, to stand on and had to represent him as lights in this world. They were to walk in love. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. Now, by new commandment, don't mistake this as thinking that they're just now starting to love people. Like, oh yeah, back in the Old Testament, people just hated people. You know, but now, because Jesus, he loves, you know, we're supposed to love everybody. No, in the Old Testament, they did love people as well. That's why when Jesus was speaking to the Pharisees on the Sermon on the Mount, he said, it's written, right? You shall love your, your neighbor, right? Hate your enemies. They added that part there. Um, but, you know, but it did say in the, in, the, in the law that you were to love your neighbor. But Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to give you something new here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you something fresh in talking about love. I want you to love others as I have loved you. Oh, that changes things here. No more saying, Lord, who's my neighbor? Or as the um, guy asked there as he was talking to Jesus, trying to get out of it. No, Jesus says, you need to love others as I have loved you. And as we learn at the beginning of this chapter, we're told here that the Lord loved them to the end. That means he loved them to the fullest extent. And the disciples knew that. And so how are we to represent the Lord as lights in this world where we're to love others? But not, but not just in some, you know, phony way. We're to love others to the fullest extent as Jesus loved us, meaning that we're to lay down our lives for the brethren. We all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Well, John would later, John would later write 1 John 3.16. He says this, In this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for one another. That's the true gospel. As the gospel resonates in our heart, God is love. It will then work its way out as we love each other. Verse 35, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so as people look on us as believers, as we love one another, they think, wow, that's something supernatural there. <laughs> you know, that, that doesn't come normally. You know, they wouldn't lay down their life for each other and, in that way, it can only be Jesus. It can only be God. And so, yes, this is a dark passage. It's a sad one. As we see Judas turning his back on the light and going into the darkness. But this backdrop only gives us more of an encouragement to stay closer to the light. And as we do, we learn how to represent him and reflect him, which is through his word, which is through our witness and through our walk. Amen.